0: of the United States. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause. And let's just take a moment to send him some healing energy. If we could just picture him right now and close our eyes for a moment, take a deep breath, picture white light going through our bodies and just shooting out of our heads, out into the universe and reaching him so it enters in through his top chakra all the way down to heal him. So let's just send his send that, that energy to heal him right now. And on the count of three, let's say... Juan Felipe Herrera, si. One, two, three. Juan Felipe Herrera, si. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm just going to read his bio that's in his new book, Jabberwalking. Yeah, this is so cool. Like, I, r- I read the book and I felt like he was the Dr. Seuss for adults. Like I felt like that same fun vibe uh, of anything is possible and nothing is impossible and we can change the world and we can do amazing things and I just love him. And um, Juan Felipe Herrera was born the son of migrant farm workers and his childhood was spent on the move. He was educated at UCLA and Stanford University, and completed his MFA at the University of Iowa. He is the author of more than 30 books, including short stories, prose, young adult novels, children's books, and poetry. It was in 2015 that he was appointed the 21st Poet Laureate of the United States. And in addition to his work as a poet, Herrera is a performance artist and activist on behalf of migrant and indigenous communities and at-risk youth. His creative work spans genres including art, theater, and the written word. He lives in Fresno, California, where he directs the Laureate Lab Visual Word Studio at California State University. (laughs) So... I was watching some of his videos, and man, he's charismatic, he's a great storyteller, and I'm like, ah, Juan, ay Dios mio. So I'm gonna try to do his work justice, and uh, so we'll start with this, and then I am going to introduce you to our poets, our guest poets. And as an oofish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tugly wood and blur burbled as it came. That's from Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll, which must have inspired him immensely for this piece. The incredible chapter uno on the questionable yet true and tried method of jabberwalking in a fast, fast, fast world and an unexpected journey to the Library of Congress across the street from the White House. Wait, jabber notebook. Before you burble through the tuggly wood, let me get my stuff ready, okay? My desk at home is a total and absolute puffy, putrid, fluffy, blue, cheesy, incandescent forest-like mess. It's been photographed in the papers already, jeez. My well-groomed, perfumed, blonde, reddish-colored Chinese pit bull, sharpei, Lotus, waits for me to take her for another walk, as usual. She's my buddy, my jabber partner girl. I am panting, she is panting. We just finished whiffling through five blocks in circles and zigzags here in Fresno, York. Getting ready to travel to Washington, D.C. For my first set of meetings as the poet laureate of the United States. Gotta finish up washing lotus's spud-shaped paws before she will lick them for hours and I don't want her to gobble all that creepy, creepy, creepy things hanging from her spud paws and claws. Spring bugs all over my tiny house even my John Lennon glasses for my fuzzy chocolate-colored eyes that can't see too far or too close. After all these years of jabberwalking in the whirly world of things, been jabberwalking so many years, my skeleton crackle clicks at the joints and my neck crooks up and my hand bones crackle whack. There's no stopping once you're a jabberwalker. A bona fide poet on the tangly streets of the planet where human beings breathe as best as they can and slap their hands in the air to greet the sun, where periods and dashes and verbs and nouns come flying. Fly, fly. I am putting on my flippy sombrero and my original wing jabber boots. Got my jabber backpack and my jabber journal for a fast, fast, fast scribble poem burble on the run a true burble in this light-speed, tuggly world of surprising things under the wobbly sky. There will be a silvery jet waiting for me and for you all the way to D.C. for my first laureate visit. Come, Lotus, let's go. In the closet, poets. (laughs) Okay, okay, yes, yes. It's okay to say that you're a poet. It's okay to just be it, you know? Uh, I host the open mics here on Monday nights, you know, so if you ever wanna come back and do your poetry here and in this great space, in this great energy, please come back, okay? So, One of the things that I was listening to Juan Felipe, and one of the things that he said about poetry is that a poem is ungraspable, so stop rationalizing it. I love that. You know, sometimes like we edit ourselves before we even create it, and that's really what's stopping you from raising your hand and say, yeah, I'm a poet. You can be if you allow yourself to be. So the first poet that I am going to welcome up. is do you feel good going first? A graduate of CUNY John J., born in Jamaica, please welcome Donata Watson.
1: This piece is called Nobody. O me? Me are nobody. Me ain't nobody. Me is not nobody. Umi me? Me are nobody. Me not have no paper. Me not have the number. You know the number where they put the paper? Me not have no number. Me ain't nobody. The look of a card, the number where they the card. You know i not really card, but it's a piece of paper. One look a piece of paper will look like one card. Me and nobody. Me I have the number where they the paper, so me and nobody. Fool, me I go on fool, me just tell you, say, I am not nobody. Technically, I'm here, but I'm not really here. I'm there. I'm back there, but I'm, I'm really here, but I'm not really here. I'm back there. I'm back home, if you can call it home. Me no nobody. Me no nobody. Me not even have me picture to look a card where say my address and say who me is. Come here have the card where you can see my face. Me know you can see my face right. Yes, but you can see my face we show you my address. we tell you who me is and where me live because me and nobody. I'm not here. See, you don't see me. I am not here. I am not nobody. May I try to tell you, say I'm not nobody. Me and nobody. Me ain't nobody, me ain't nobody, me ain't nobody. I am not, not nobody, oh. Me ear, but me not really the ear, you know? Probably you see me and you know my name. Donata. 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 Yeah? Who call me? Donata. Only certain people call me Donata. The people them when know say I am not nobody, them call me Donata. Donata. Donna, a who that a call me? Me like when me hear Donna, I see? Cause the people them a call me Donna, they know I say, yeah, I meet a Donna. Me ain't a body. Me not have the number with the and card, so me ain't on a body. Me not really dare, me dare, but me not dare. You know? My girl, I will make you a gwan, sir. How am I going in? How am I acting? I'm just telling you, I'm not nobody. I keep on telling people, I'm not, I'm not nobody, and I keep on. I am Donata. Donata. May I have to say it. May I have to say it over and over and over. I am not she, meaning, oh, she, oh, yes, she did send the email. She she did. she, You keep on calling me she, and I'm Donata. It's alright, don't know my name. Come in, I have the card with the number where they pan, The card become my name, the paper. No paper. I have paper, but the paper work, the paper, they back in a my father's, the father, my father's land, the paper, them work, they, them they there, them they in a Jamaica, but me they here, but me not really they here. You see me? Aye, you see me. <laughs> what do you see when you see me? She black. So she angry. She kind of rough and she thinks she, she a man and she can't walk and roll with a the man then. But you're a man. Stay in your place and know say so you're a woman. E? What do you see when you see me? No, man. You don't see how you walk. You do see how you, how you walk and how you pastor stay. You're not meant for serve. You're not meant for serve. Back in Africa, you must have been royalty. Them can't understand. Can you talk proper? You is a writer. Writer. What is a writer? <laughs> Lord. You're not got school. Or oh, you still have made them fool you with school. You need to come out of school and start live life. I wasn't a teacher in a school, Donna. Or oh, you in a school so long, Donna. <laughs> Might as well become a teacher, in you know, because you're just school, 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 school. You know more than me. eh? Me can't show you some things. You know more than me. I am nobody. Nobody. I am nobody. Me not even there. You can't even see me. You can't even see me because am not even there. I'm there, but I'm there, you know? Me am there, de- de- so. Back there, de- so. back, de- so. back there. I'm back home, home. What is home? Me can't stand the house, you see. Too small. I am nobody. Me can't even fit at the house. Donna! A who that I call me? Donna! Ahura call me. Yes, Lord, it's me, your servant, yes. If I talk, if I assert myself, I am too much. Lower it down. I get aggression, push back. If I'm silent, I take it easy and I step back. You need to speak up. You need to, you need to be more, do more. So if me do or me don't do, me not wrong. No, no, no bum. Them people are want me for driving me mad. Look, like, them look at me like, who is she? Who tell her she can't talk? Who tell her she's somebody? Me ain't nobody. That's what i to tell me. i to tell me, say, I am not nobody. Then I tell nobody cause she don't have the number. You know the number? Where they on the paper? The a card, you know the card? The social security number. Social. Me no social. Me no have no social security. Security, social, social. Cause when you have the number and them type the number in on the computer that make you somebody, cause you pop up on the screen with like, one look a picture. Me no know me think so, but you pop up on the screen so that means the computer say you is somebody. So then you somebody because the computer say you is somebody. And if you're not having a you're not in this land, you're not nobody. So I'm not nobody. I'm here, but I'm not really here. You can't see me. Don't look upon me. And don't ask me for looking in your eye, because I am not nobody. I can't really speak up because i not really there. I'm not here. I'm not there. So you yeah, talk to me, but I can't really hear you. I'm not here. But may I hear the people, them, where they over there, so. And them I call me and them I say, Dana, come home, Dana, Dana, come home, my time now, Dana, come, come, you're good man, you're good man, Dana, time, come home. Dana, when you come to Jamaica? Dana, time to come home now, Dana. You know, see, the the people, them not want you, the people, them not see you. Eh? You don't have the number on the, the paper, the little paper with your name. You are nobody. I'm trying to tell you, and you not hearing, it's Donata. But I am not nobody, so I understand. you not really seeing me coming in there, but I'm in a there, you know? I am not nobody.
0: Donata, I feel like, like I really know you. <laughs> so great, isn't that amazing? It's great. So, back to the book. Jabber notice. Jabber notice. Just notice that I did not supply you with a most practical item. What is this puffy blue cheesy jabberwalking volume gonna teach you? Warning, do not excessively slow down. We are in a total serious puffy hurry. Read the following three items ASAP in about four seconds. The four jabberwalking techniques. One, the art of jabberwalking. Two, the art of jabberjetting. Jabberwalking walking inside a bona fide airplane going a gazillion miles per hour. Three, the art of jabber walking with a newspaper emblazoned with moody and rock star faces. Four, the dangerous art of the period rebel planet frijol. And just maybe a number five, el tacho. Bonus. So another thing that I found interesting about uh, that Juan Felipe Herrera said about poetry, about creating poetry, he said, is it text, or is it art? What do you think it is? He said, take the text where it doesn't go. Explore both. Lean towards art and push against the text. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So I present to you our next poet, Anez Ahmed, student at College of Staten Island and from Egyptian roots.
2: Hey everyone. Hello. Okay, there we go. First off, I want to thank all y'all for coming here. Woo! Yeah. So I'm going to be sharing three poems with you guys. And the first one's going to be called uh, Republic of Translation.
3: <laughs>
2: republic of Translation. Translation begins with the republic of tongue. It begins with removal of your public lung playing with poetry's superfly music sheet. Translate the Harlem street talk your mother taught and play with your 32 teeth along our Christian piano keys. Avoid the sing-song sound of your nouns before they become new blues and woo-hoos for those who couldn't own their tongues. So go unsung for your culture seeds, long weeds in our young. You weave together stories of exhumed bones for whom we don't care. You are no native in the republic of translation. You are a native in the republic of cows, pimps, and corpse. Tone the weight of your native tongue and cut your breath away from phantoms of your nation. We are your new mirror and canvas. In a Satan's cue, let us foreplay. Let us wipe away that Nile spit, and speak, hip hop beat from your mouth. Give us the anatomy of your name so we can know who to blame on Fox News headlines and claim to our state prison crimes. You have become our self-portrait, a prism, you have become a semi-automatic excuse for our perverted muse. Our latest, news has, our latest news has you carry out our triple X in our back streets, schools, courts, and projects. You say we turned you into an object. We say you have a complex. Sex, money, murder runs venom in our citizens' veins and translates onto you 21st shackles and chains. You've become an X-rated memory that no longer needs translation. You've reached completion. We mixed American blood deep in your gangbanger heart. Your parents are built your bones in hopes to bury, their, to bury you their histories, but your chest has lost its foreign song when you become our chess piece. Whereas next season's weather has no longer feathers, whether you care or not, the Republic will pistol grip the hands of your sons and of your daughters. All right, so the second uh, poem I got is called Street Uniform, and it's in dedication for uh, Gwendolyn Brooks. So if any of y'all you know her, you know. And if any of y'all don't, just check her up. All right, Street Uniform for Brooks. Those midnight boys roll down Brooklyn in the dance of smooth chords and thin gin. In Bay Ridge, our seven plant bullets in the soil of graffiti bricks. They've been lurking to the tune of Shakur and Onsin. Those midnight boys are rolling down Brooklyn. They're real cool, you know? They're art of snatching prey from unpaved streets, cruising stolen skin to prospect where our seven plant jazz in. Mornings, boys leave high school during recess. Gathering at the shovel, our pool players begin striking matches and plans to roll down Brooklyn. It's dead late soon. Our seven, filling the air in straight methane, begin to lose their grins. On the highway, our seven plant their blood in. In June, the pale bearers carried seven coffins into ground to the songs of organs and tearing kin. At Bay Ridge, our seven planted bullets in. Now, our midnight boys roll down in broke. I just got to say, like, I love you right now. I'm just saying. I'm like, (laughs) all right, so the last poem is going to be called uh, The Little Syrian Girl. Mm -hmm. The Little Syrian Girl. Mama was always surgical when answering questions I brought home from school. She'd wrap around my hijab after breakfast, twirling it with a magician's control around my neck and scalp. Grabbing the safety pin from her mouth, she poked the fabric and linked their ends. As we held hands to school, I asked her again, my mouth a broken faucet." She held frozen, always did when I brought up Baba or Syria, even our travels. She propped on a knee and stared at the grass. She was formulating, playing and practicing her mental sentences. Everything isn't as bad as what the news showed, she said. I knew she was lying. I saw that photograph of a Syrian boy washed on shore, motionless. Did the sea drown him and the coffle of children in just mercy? Mama won't tell me. I'd cry in bed tears the boy couldn't. How his soul turned the valves of my eyes that Allah's rain was seeping through. I know memories can't heal lesions of memory, but I pray for sleep. Thank you.
0: Anes everybody. Anes. <laughs> <laughs> I know you feel relieved, right? Don't you I know. I know it feels like that. It feels like that like you dread like going up. You're like worried, you got butterflies and then you get up and then you do it and you're like <sighs> Yes. Yes, it's a great release, a great relief. It's just great, I love poetry, I live for this. And, uh, and I'm so happy to be here, this is so great. So back to Jabberwalking, the new book. You gotta get one, support his work. To be a Jabberwalker, what do you think that takes? To be a Jabberwalker, it takes many walks alone unnoticed on the sidewalk. You have never walked or with friends that come and go. It takes staring through your window at night, wondering about everything and hoping to feel something, a something that you do not have words for and you just wish you did. So you get up the next day not knowing how you got there and you start walking to places where you usually walk almost invisible. And you say to yourself, everything looks the same again. Where am I going? I don't know. Don't even think I care, but I kind of do. So you stare and stare out the window again. And you walk again into the new day's new light again. And you breathe and you kind of hear your breath even if you had a fight with your brother in the principal's office because you thought he said something about you on Facebook. You feel your heart is beating. You feel that it is beating. It is small as a sparrow. It is as alive, and that is good, kind of so You reach for a pen and a piece of paper and you scribble something about yourself, something real, maybe about wanting to scream for no reason at all, or that just happened to spill out of your pen, that is, when you start out on your jabber-walking road with your eyes on fire. And it is not crummy anymore. So another genius thing he said about writing poetry, he said, let the poem write itself. You're not writing a paper or a dissertation. Just let it unfold. Don't suffocate your poem with concepts. Breathe into it and move on. Write that next poem instead, and then let that poem help you write the first poem. Your book, your poem doesn't have to be a book. Just write one poem at a time. A poem doesn't have to be a poem. It can be simply something that goes with something else. So ladies and gentlemen, born in Mexico, student at Lehman College, I present to you Rosa Mayo.
4: Hello, good evening. If I'm gonna be fairly honest, I didn't know we had to prepare poetry, um, even though this is a poet's cafe, so (laughs) I will be reading something else, and I apologize for that. Inconvenience, and thank you for letting me share it anyway. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Congratulations. You have been chosen to be a recipient of the Dream.US scholarship award. Holy cow, that had not been something I was expecting during a miserable time. It took a while for the meaning of what I had just read to really digest. My mind had gone blank momentarily, but then I felt a cheesy smile begin to spread on my face. For once, it wasn't a bitter disappointment I felt. It was a victory. I hadn't felt so good in so long. I had almost forgotten the refreshing state of accomplishment. My miserable state had been lifted and thrown into the sky. I felt a weight lift off my chest, and I no longer had felt so clogged up with worry. I felt as if smoke had cleared itself away from my insides, allowing oxygen to fully expand throughout my lungs. My anxiety in that moment vanished, and the uncertainty I had felt all year long was gone. My scholarship would help pay for my school in its entirety, which yes, elated me because it meant I wouldn't have to pay for school. (laughs) But it also elated me in knowing that my parents wouldn't have to work harder, burning away their energy at double the speed, just to ensure my education. Obviously, I was gonna work and help fund my own education, because that would be wrong. (laughs) But now my parents nor myself had to worry about how we were gonna find the money for me to continue my education. For me, this wouldn't have been a problem either way. I had begun working at a retail store earlier that year, and although it wasn't my dream job, it also wasn't the sort of jobs my parents held. What retail required for me at most was heavy social interactions, and I'm kind of an introvert, (laughs) but, lost my place, give me a second. (laughs) My mom worked as a housekeeper, and she was merely in her mid-30s, but a bit of my mom's back pains weren't going away. Her hands were becoming rough, and she no longer had the same energy she once possessed. Her job was cleaning the houses of others, a job not even the homeowner wanted to do for himself. My dad worked as a carpenter and a landscaper, again, another job no one wanted to do. Their jobs required hours under the sun, hauling tools and vacuums up and down stairs, their youthful strength and endurance. Their jobs had begun to wear them down more, and their energy was beginning to wane. I realized that this meant that they would not be able to hold the same jobs in a couple years. Granted, they weren't that old yet, (laughs) but they certainly weren't gonna be young forever. My job offered me a future pension plan where I didn't have to worry about how I'd survive in the future. My parents had no such opportunities, and I hadn't realized before the horror of such an uncertain future at an older age. Before, I wouldn't have been able to comprehend what it would mean for myself as an old lady unable to move the way I used to, unable to work and sustain myself. But in that instance, the reality of what our illegal status meant for my parents was eye-opening. Never before had I analyzed the situation of our status and what it truly meant. Growing up, I never really experienced anything that would have highlighted the differences between me and my peers. Slowly, as the college process began to pace in the reality of adulthood, I had slowly begun to realize how truly disadvantaged I was compared to them. Being unable to apply for FAFSA was the first time I had really felt the impacts of what could not be possible for me. A couple of years back, I had received DACA, which was the one opportunity I had been given by Congress to be allowed the opportunity to work here, just like any other citizen. Hence the reason why I didn't have to make the same sacrifices that my parents had. But seeing the disadvantage between them and myself showed to me how maybe my status wasn't the worst it could be. My parents didn't even have an opportunity to get an education. I had grown to love learning that year, and one thing I had hoped for was that everyone could experience a joy for learning. Knowing my parents did not even have the option to expand their horizons the way I had, it made the reality of what their lives were like in this country clear to me. Not only was I going to possibly (laughs) lose the scholarship, kind of a long story, you guys kinda have to read the rest before you find out, (laughs) which meant another chance thrown out the window but it meant that my goal would not be met. I'd begun to fear what my future seemed to be looking like. If I couldn't make it into college, it'd mean I'd have to work at Hollister for the rest of my life. Clearly, I was exaggerating a tad bit in my teenage mind, (laughs) but this is the reality that I felt. I knew I had the potential to become a physicist as I had set my mind to be towards the end of senior year, despite the fact that I skipped trigonometry for two years. (laughs) I knew myself, and I knew I had the potential to be anything I was so damn pleased. But now because of disadvantages and honestly poor decision making, <laughs> I would never get the chance to reach my full potential. My chances of one day becoming a professional would never be given to me. And risking and sounding a bit conceited, I never, that's never thought that such a mistake would happen to me. Yeah, there were times where despite working hard, I didn't get what I had hoped for. But these small instances were a rarity. It wasn't often where I had to face defeat and failure. It wasn't that I didn't know how to cope and handle those things. I just didn't have the grace to deal with them just yet. It was devastating and frustrating that the one failures I would face in life was not getting into college. I knew that my journey to continue my education was gonna be uncertain, but I had never expected for my path to lead me away from the opportunity.
0: You feel good, too? You feel good, too? Of course you do. Give it up one more time for Rosa Mayo. (laughs) So Juan Felipe and I, I guess what we have in common is that we're the first generation born here in the United States. Him, he's a Chicano, and I am a New Yorican. both my parents from Puerto Rico. Papi came from Manati. Mommy came from Aguadilla. Papi landed in Brooklyn. Mommy landed in the Bronx. They met Dancing Salsa in Manhattan. <laughs> in a dance club called La Mancha. It was very romantic. La Mancha, it means the stain. <laughs> but then of course, mommy made Papi a Bronx boy because he fell in love so he had to go to her Um, I was born in the Boogie Down Bronx. I still live there. So I'm more specifically a Boogie Rican, because I'm from the Boogie Down Bronx. (laughs) Like Sonia Sotomayor, Boogie Rican. J-Lo, Boogie Rican. Yeah, yeah, Alejandra Ocasio Cortez, Boogie Ricans. We're Boogie Ricans. There's something magical about that place and being Puerto Rican in it. It's kind of wild. But I'm just going to get into it, my bilingual poetry. This is an oldie but goodie, Uh, The Pearl of the Caribbean. By the light of the moon, dusty roads we would walk as coquis sang their song, pulling strings in my heart. Guayabas, quenepas, bombas y plenas, drinking café, wearing chancletas in the kitchen with Abuela, hoping that times would get more better. (laughs) I respect her for holding it down so long. Five kids, one crib, cocinando lechon, taught us respect, la bendicion, how to ask for perdón. Mama Don, you're right even when you're wrong. Cause I'm proud to be Boricua, Taina de la Isla Bonita, Africana, Gitana, Latina, de Manati, es la Brujita, Abuelito, Mami, Tio, Primo. My family, my people, the more days that I live, I realize we're all equal. whatever you are into, whatever your belief, let me wave my flag without cause and beef, cause while this world is busy fighting, I'm just looking for peace. Even if you ain't Boricua, can I call you my peeps? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Are you having a good time so far? Yeah. Awesome. Great. Great. Any mothers in the house? Any mothers? Yes. Yes. Mothers to sons? Any mothers with sons? All right, so boom. This is a, a poem that I wrote because I have a son. Uh I have a son and a daughter. My son is 21, and I'm only 19. <laughs> I don't know how I did that. I don't know. <laughs> So I wrote this piece, and it's called A Letter to My Son. And it starts with a haiku. I have written a letter to the man my son will one day become. And I told him, I wrote a poem for him, and he was like, I don't think I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) So I waited. I waited until he was. It took him a year, but then he read this. You're not a child anymore. Though you were a beautiful boy, a man is what you are now. Maybe almost a man. You can call yourself a man once you have mastered how to hammer a nail into wood and create a home. When you can love another human being enough to understand that which you dislike or fear about them. If you have made the love that births a child and stayed each day to raise it, you can also raise your head high and call yourself a man. Challenges are not obstacles, they are stepping stones, and if you have never set foot upon one to see the next level, you are not a man. If you've stopped climbing after the first steep step, you're only half a man. If you have learned to dance wildly enough to make thunder crash at your feet, you are not a man, but a god. You are a god if the lightning you can create is harnessed to illuminate the darkest paths. You are a man if you have stumbled through the darkness without knowing how to make fire. You are a man if you can see the fire in another and find warmth there. You are a god if you shelter their flame from the rain without letting them burn you. You are not a man if you have pummeled their flame to mere cinders and let your tribe grow cold in winter. You're not a man if you've procreated and ran so far that you did not teach the child to stand, did not cradle its hand, did not try to understand the questions in its eyes. If you've hunted for food and fed the world knowledge and kept the well clean for others to drink, you can call yourself a savior. If you ate only what was given, explored the corners of a box you live in, knew well what was wrong and right but kept sinning or remained indifferent, then you are a slave. If you have spread your wings and tasted the future but still landed in the past, then you are an ass. If you have read this letter with passion and hunger, looked for the message inside yourself, loved the mystery, cried from misery, and still were able to smile, then you are not a man, a god, a savior, or a slave, but you truly are my son. Thank you. If any Instagrammers, I have that poem on my Instagram. I have other poems there. I put them up for April Poetry Month, La Bruja NYC, for the non-Latino it's La Bruja <laughs> NYC.
3: <laughs>
0: Follow me. So here's another controversial piece. I did this poem called WTC on, 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 on deaf poetry years ago. and um, They didn't want me to do that poem. So if you ever look at my clip of Deaf Poetry Jam and you see me do Lola the Crackhead poem into the WTC poem, it's because they told me that if I didn't do the Lola Crackhead poem, I wasn't gonna make the cut. So that's why I did that. Because you could compromise, but just so much. You still have to say what you need to say. And 9-11 had happened and I was like, no, I'm using this platform to say this poem. So that was my first acronym poem, WTC, right? But then the controversy of this word came up, whether it exists, whether it doesn't exist, and when I looked in my old English dictionary, there it was. So this is my follow-up acronym poem, and it goes like this. S-P-I-C, S-P-I-C, It don't mean the same thing to me. S-P-I-C, S-P-I-C, I -I I define my dictionary. S-P-I-C, S-P-I-C, ten mucho cuidado como llamarme a mi. S-P-I-C, S-P-I-C, que con mi ESP, I see what I see. Spanish people in crisis, speak politely, I'm crazy. (laughs) Spain probably isn't caring. Statehood probably isn't coming. Separated people inevitably crumble. Start participating in culture. Strong pro-independence community. Society prefers indifference collectively. Speaking powerfully involves commitment. Similar patterns in chimps. Slander purposely impairs confidence. Surviving people's insensitive comments. Sociopolitical insanity continues. Speaking purposefully is constitutional. Still placed in cadenas, sees Puerto Ricans in chancletas, Spiritualists praying ignite candles. Some propaganda is comedy. Stop praising ignorant celebrities. Sharing perspectives is cleansing. Solidarity provides immense connection. Stepping past indignant critics, selling poison in clinics. Staying poised inside conflict. Slavery practiced in Caribbean. Spaniards pummeled indigenous caciques. Seeing persecution is crushing. Shoe points impale cockroaches. Stop parades including Columbus. Soy perfecta inventando caridades. Seeking past inner conquistador. Speak. Properly in code, some poetry is censored. Sexy, pero inteligente, coño. (laughs) (laughs) Thank (laughs) Thank you how you going to feel about this next poem. This is unpublished. This is kind of new. When we say something is new, everybody's supposed to go, new shit. New shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this is about police brutality and those police that do this. Not all police are uh, sick. <laughs> um. But a lot of them are. I come from Diallo Town. I come from the 43rd Precinct. That's where they shot Amadou Diallo years ago just for producing a wallet. So this is called If Anybody's Interested. Authorities got hands on their sticks, ready and quick to pull out the proverbial whip, a glock full of clips, While we're driving in our whip, cops are on their way to market. While we're the ones unarmed, not believing we're the target. Not recalling that to them, we're just a Trayvon Martin. Sean Bell, Eric Garner, human beings murdered. Whatever happened to serve and protect? They break civilian necks and get a slap on the wrist. Unpoliced police mostly get away with it. I trust police the way I trust the government. In God, we trust to see some punishment. We know the system is corrupted. Sometimes they get sentenced for their injustices, but most times they whistle by acting like they did none of it. There's a long list of names spoken over walls of silence. In a world of violence, the tyrants don't get tired. Our brains are rewired to follow roads to nowhere. People growing scared, calling life unfair, complacent, like they don't care, afraid to make a statement. I declare don't be another slave on the plantation. Divided segregation, displaced like First Nations. Suicide statistics are high in elevation, we're forced on reservations. Drug and liquor integration, militarization. Sex cells on every station. It's a third eye invasion. Terrorist interrogation, modern day enslavement. The color of your skin is under investigation. Racial condemnation, ego inflation. Superiority complex implementation. Stop and frisk statistics arising for the innocent. But if you aren't interested, don't listen to this gibberish. Forget the politics of this matrix that we're living in. It's all part of the system and it's always gonna be like this if you aren't questioning the roots of white privilege. we're about to do a little Q and a so that we can all just just talk, you know, get some 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 conversation going and uh, but I want to end with this piece. Uh, this is called "Poor to Rico." Uh, this is dedicated to Puerto Rico and the lack of response after Hurricane Maria. I wrote this poem as if I were Puerto Rico. And if Puerto Rico could speak. So if you don't know, rico means rich. So, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico me llaman. I am Puerto Rico. That is what you call me. Yo me llamo Puerto Rico. If you came from me, you will go from me. You will come to me. You will grow from me. Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, poor to Rico, poor to Rico. Africa, Spain, Taino, Madre del Jibarito, defended por Albizu, I've made many sacrificios, a mi misma me critico, I have taught all of my people to turn the other cheek though, I've been a refuge politico to the French, the Dutch, the Spanish, the English, the Catholics, the soldiers, the tourists. I've treated everyone as equal, and now there is a war against all Puerto Ricans. We are fighting an elusive creature that owns me as its paraíso. Como me explico, a que me califico, por que me mortifico, I am not poor, but rico. We were offered fool's gold while they robbed us of a sharehold. While nacionalistas foretold the takeover of control, we danced and fell into the American mold. We warmed ourselves with tropical memories while facing the American cold. But what is untold, we will expose. There are no more cheeks to turn. Though the hypocrisy has left us holding two faces, we've been slapped with debt we didn't earn. Told to strap up our boots, but left without shoelaces. Not welcome in one, but living in two places. Between here and there is no place for me. Oh say this rape culture, oh say can you see? It is always to victim blame, so the truth you won't see and they've asked me how I let it go this far. Beneath the shirt off my back that I gave are the scars. This patriotic love of one flag, this promised freedom of one star, while there's 50 United States but not room for one more. My children since birth have been treated as whores and what was mine was mine but mistaken as yours. Collectors of foreign sectors are banging down my door The first mass exodus was in the 50s and we're witnessing the sequel and it's 2019. And if you ask me right now what it is that I am thinking, I'm holding my people up to stop them from sinking. They would see the richness of my power if they started interlinking and the colonial mindset would start collectively shrinking. So stand up, my children. We will always be connected. Por el cordón umbilicar, maternal por el ombligo, with my mangoes and my mangroves, yo los purifico. Los huracanes de Yocahu, yo los pacifico, y las riquezas de Atabey, yo los multiplico. If you came from me, you will go from me, you will come to me, you will grow from me. Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, poor. poor to rico, poor, to rico. We are not poor, but rico. We are not yours, but equal. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. You have been an amazing audience, so grateful, and so wonderful. Oh, the fourth poet is here. Where is, who is it? Oh, okay. Well, we were gonna have four poets, and we are having four poets. So closing out right here, and then we'll do the Q&A. Medgar Evers College. Aisha Wright, I Asia. I Asia Wright. I didn't mean to say that wrong. I Asia Wright. From Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Right, thank you. Um, I'm sorry.
3: It's going to be it's short, sweet, and to the point. Um, I wrote this because uh, I don't think that, you sh- that um, people who come in, the dreamers, should have to go so hard for their citizenship and things like that, I think it should come easier. And all because at the end of the day, this land doesn't really belong to us, it belongs to everybody. So um, this, is a poem, this is a letter to the dreamer. Um, this land was built on the back of immigrants who are dreamers just like you. They work hard and persevere to make their dreams come true. The Statue of Liberty says, bring me your tired, poor, and huddled masses, not your diplomats and upper classes. A lot of Americans don't know how good we have it here, or just don't care to acknowledge that most other places people live in despair. Some not knowing how their families are going to eat with little or no gov- little to no government help or medical relief. Guerrilla warfare, men kill women and children, kidnapped or sold into sex trade or slavery, or because their nation's poverty. To poverty. So want more and to have a better life is what we all are entitled to. To bring your children, friends, and family too. This land is mine, this land is yours. We are all deserving of that and more. The American dream is all of ours, far and near, even the ones who came before and settled here. A better life will be yours, one with peace of mind and a chance for upward mobility. Soon your dreams will be a reality, hopefully. Thank you.
0: I hate your rights. So how many of you are, like, thinking lots of things? Like, you got thoughts, right? You got, you're feeling things, right? Like, you've been sparked. If you have a journal, this is an amazing time to write down your feelings and write down your thoughts. I like to say that there's nothing that you can write that is wrong. That's why it's called right. <laughs> okay, so let's let's sit down here. We're gonna do a Q and A. So. If you have a feeling just yell it out. What it, whatever you're feeling? What's the word? Just let's hear some words like let's hear what you're feeling. Any words? Amazing. Anxious? Yes. Are we yelling Speechless. Words. <laughs> Speechless anybody else? Yes.
3: Okay, how long is it? Yes. Short, it long? Says, it says grievances. Mm-hmm. A grievance that is nursed and fed will poison and destroy all the worthwhile things of life, health, openness, and joy. A grudge retain will thrive and grow, and fill the mind at last, embittering the present and the future and the past. Why add to the miseries Make a start this very day by casting out the grievance in your heart. Okay. um,
0: um, um, Too bad we don't have like a Shazam app for poetry, right? Wouldn't that be cool? What's your name? Hedris. Hedris? Ladies and gentlemen, show some love for Hedris. I don't know who wrote that poem. Grievance grievances? Grievances. No anyone ha- any ideas? Does it no? I don't know. I'm gonna have to Google. That's Spanglish. Google. That's true, that's why I believe in the, the healing benefits of poetry because it's a healthy way to channel out the pain. And if you don't use the poetry, if you don't use that way or or any healthy way or art or somehow, some creative way, it, it manifests into cancer, ulcers, all kinds of illnesses, migraines, even a sore throat because you're holding on to your words. Yeah, so does anybody have a question something they'd like to discuss. I would need help anybody to, do a <laughs> to find out <laughs> the, name the help help, please. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. speak
3: okay. So when you're writing a poem, how do you know what direction you're taking it towards, and will that change, like, in the middle of your poem?
0: Well, in the process, like, for me personally, um, I do what's called flushing, and I just flush it out. I don't really think too much about where it's going. I just write it first. Some people type first. I like the feeling of the pen on the paper and I just write out whatever comes out, and then I go back and and read it, and then from there decide what's what. How about you guys? What's your process?
3: Um, Well, for me, I haven't written in a while. I was at, like, a writer's block. Like, I kind of write when I'm emotionally distraught. Like, I have to be either really angry or extremely sad, like, not really happy. And um, I just, like, it just comes out, like, I, I put the pen to the paper, and it just comes as it goes. So I just let it take me wherever it's gonna take me, basically.
1: Anybody
0: else?
1: Um, for me, uh, specifically, when I'm struggling with writing a poem, I n- one poem I was specifically struggling with, I use a lot of what's going on in my environment. You know, there was one poem I was struggling with, and um, you know, my daughter was sitting right there, and she her presence, as I was just going through the writing, her presence, something that she said, I put in and then I just started going again, just like, just keep on going.
2: So with me, I usually, when I begin a poem, I usually have an idea in mind, and I don't really follow a certain direction because I feel like if like, you like, set yourself uh, with a specific form or something that could limit yourself, then you can't really express completely what you're trying to do. And so with me, I just want to just be able to get whatever's on my mind on the page. And sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't, but as long as I'm putting uh, in that effort. And that sometimes I actually find some t- uh, some of my poetry uh, I could actually work with. I could edit, I could fix it and revise. It's really just a process and really getting to understand the intricacies of that process.
4: Yeah, sort of right on that coattail there, um, just a matter of getting the words out, letting it flow, and then... It's a process. You go back and, you know, you re-edit it. And sometimes I find that when I reread my work out loud to myself after just writing it out the first time, sometimes I can phrase the words a little better. Sometimes just more inspiration comes and it it just somehow turns magical (laughs) in that second time or third time even. So, yeah. Um,
0: I think it's really important to record yourself saying the poem. Hearing it it's different from like videoing yourself. It's very distracting to watch my like I don't like video, but audio, it I can hear where I feel my where it should go. Like I hear a difference when I read it back. Um and then with the with the um writer's block, I wanted to address that because uh Anne Frank said something really interesting that always stood with me. And um, she said that even though she couldn't look outside of the window, she wrote herself a window. And whenever I feel like I have writer's block, that's the first thing I'll write is like, I don't know what to write. I can't think of what to, and I'm already writing. And then you're done. And then it's over. Yeah, you break the spell. Anybody else, any other question? Thank you so much for that question. Yes.
4: I haven't used a microphone in a long time. <laughs> How does it feel, <laughs> feel good? Go ahead, it grab that microphone. This <laughs> 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 feels so weird, oh God. Um, <laughs> at what point does a piece of writing become a performance piece? because recently I saw a friend perform something and she's a poet she's a performance artist but she started out performing without any words and then towards the end of the performance she recited a poem so <laughs> I'm just interested in hearing if either any of you have had that experience like obviously all of you all of you performed but like how do you how do you perform your writing at, at what point do you You make that decision if you do at all? I hope that makes sense.
3: (laughs) Well, when I I started writing at 11 years old, Um, my first poem I wrote when I was 11. Um, And for me, I like to recite to anybody if you're gonna listen, and I mean, if we're in it, so I feel like that's performing anyway, so I be like, hey, you wanna hear my poem? I wrote this for uh, 9-11, you wanna hear it? And it's like, either way, it's a performance, and then they tell you, hey, slow it down, or that was great, and stuff like that, but ev- every time you recite it, even if it's by yourself, I still feel like you're performing it.
4: Yeah. So I guess for me, I'm also the musician, and sometimes when I speak, even at random times, I just have this thing of, like, just start snapping a random beat, and I guess I feel like that's when it becomes performance, because then eventually I start matching my words to the tempo of whatever it is I'm snapping, and then it kind of just slowly forms into a song, and this happens more when I'm alone in my room. (laughs) (laughs) But, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I'll be there, and I'll be looking in the mirror, and I'll just start talking whatever I need to talk and let out and I start snapping and then eventually I just find myself, it slowly dissolves into a song and then from there I just start singing. <laughs> so I'm an artist, uh, writer and a
1: writer, um, a performance artist specifically. Um, with nobody that I read tonight, it started not as a poem. It started as a record. I was actually... I was actually in the shower and I st- it started coming out in that way. And my phone was right by the sink and I literally just was like, something's going on here, let me start recording. Talk, talking <laughs> about, I <laughs> start <laughs> recording. It was, it, was, it was hard, what happened is, so I had to transcribe that afterwards, right? And that was really difficult, like sitting down and then writing in that way. It, it turned around and just on the other. but it actually started as a performance.
2: So with me, like I developed my style through listening to a lot of rap and jazz, like Tupac, Biggie, uh, Kendrick, like like the real MCs. And so aesthetically, I kind of I kind of developed a style like ri- like a lyrical and rhythmic style. Uh, but what I choose to do when I want to perform, though, is that I only choose to perform pieces that I really believe is needed, like it really needs to be said and really needs to be addressed to an audience. And so once i really ha- understand the topic ma- uh, the subject matter and know that it's relevant and could reach out to people that's how uh that's when i choose to really perform that piece
0: i think memorizing the poem is like that that's when it like really that's when you can really play you know to really perform it not that it's necessary obviously to perform you know n- but i feel like that's when it starts to take on a whole other place. But, you know, sometimes you have like limited gigabytes to memorize a lot, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's not easy to memorize poetry, it's like a lot of repetition and, you know, until it's in there and, but yeah, I think that that makes a huge difference. So let's take one last question, right? Because what time do we have? Yeah, let's take one last question, yes. Stand up if you'd like of to. Of course
5: I can. Yes. <laughs> 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 um, my name is Viviana Rangil. I'm a professor at Skidmore College in Upstate New York, in Saratoga Springs. And we invited Juan Felipe Herrera when he was still the poet laureate to come to. They are better. <laughs> to come to our campus and uh, to do some reading and you know work with students and all kinds of things. So it was a. It was pretty tough moment on campus because a student of ours has just died and so he created a poem for that student that was a surprise to all of us mm. and it was a beautiful poem that went on to had its life of its own. But I was teaching a class at the moment and my students also had to react uh, to, um, you know, the visit and the poet and so on and so forth. So I have here a poem that one of my students wrote in response to Juan Felipe Herrera's present All on right. presence on campus, and I'd like to ask your permission to do it. To read yes. it. Yes. Give us some love. <laughs> snap. 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 So let's make it clear that this is not my poem; it's a student's poem, and Why don't the you name come of this. Stand
0: over the here st- in the light. Stand over here and put the mic on the thing and Really, get into it. Right, let's do it all the way, yes. It's okay, it's okay.
5: Let's see if I can find it now.
0: Any other professors in the house? Any professors in the house, other professors? Yes, because you're performers, professors are performers like every day. Yes, every day.
5: Un poema para Juan Felipe Herrera. A white suit, white shirt, his glasses white too, his white hair white, moustache white, but not all white. Blue stones set in silver, a set of two on his fingers, a point poignant change, for him it seems that talking is dancing. His hands flutter, his rings flutter. He flutters, speaking rhythmically, moving rhythmically. He begins, words, words, words. These are the words, words that we take for granted, but words cost a penny, he says, or at least for his dad. Libro? Book? Esto, book, oh, book. His dad hands over a penny, and then Herrera speaks, a flowing river, currents carry words, carry opinions, carry meanings. He speaks of will, of his golden life, of loss, of green, of memory, of what is a name, of what it means to remember we sit, the whole world sits, the whole world silent, or what seems to be the world, or even if it only is a room. He opens a book, one of many casually and calmly cascading down from his podium and picks one and then another and then another and then another until he's done, and it's over. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Professora, for allowing us to see him and visualize him and feel him. Thank you so much, we really wish that he was here. Don't you wish that? His work is so wonderful. Please support his book, Jabberwalking. Support it, support him, look him up. Thank you so much for being here at the New Yorican Poets Cafe. Thank you to the (laughs) Pan America World Voices Festival. Thank you so much. Thank you to our poets. Show some love. Please stand, you guys. Please stand, take a bow. My name is Caridad de la Luz La Bruja, and it has been my pleasure and my honor. Thank you.